This is Report to Wyoming. British travel writer and filmmaker Simon Parker stopped to chat with K2 Radio News about his travels across the United States. He's embarked on a 4,000-mile coast-to-coast journey, starting out in Seattle with intentions of ending in Key West. Parker is a seasoned adventurer. In 2016, he sailed and cycled from China to London in 133 days for a Telegraph series and BBC World Service documentary. He has paraglided solo through the Andes, hiked Bali's highest volcanoes, and driven a rickshaw the length of India. Parker's objective in this journey is to talk to Americans and hear their thoughts on the country. How many miles did you say you've traveled at this point? So far, I have traveled probably about 1,500 miles, and I've got about 2,500 left. Okay. What's your halfway mark? Uh, I need to get to probably the other side of Nebraska. And then, I mean, I'm just trying to tick over with 80 miles every single day. Uh, If I can hit 80 miles a day, then I know that it will take care of itself. And are you on week three, four? Yeah, so this is week three and a bit. I started on the 23rd of August and my plan, well, as it stands, I need to fly out of Miami on the 29th of October. Real briefly, do you regret this decision yet or not? (laughs) Well, on on a daily basis, I do ask myself, what on earth am I up to? Um, But I have belief in the idea that this is a good project. I think um, this time next year when the book comes out, people are going to be genuinely interested to hear about the hundreds of interviews that I've managed to dig up so far on this journey across the United States. So it's kind of a, it's a travel story, you know, because I am traveling 4,000 miles across 12 or 14 different states. But at the same time, it is also a project which looks at the cultural and political makeup of the modern United States. And for the listeners, I've kind of been checking you out on YouTube already, but are you mostly camping, making your own food, kind of a mix? What's that look like? Yeah, so I have been prepared to camp, actually. However, what seems to happen quite a lot is I either reach a small town where there isn't a campsite and I need to go into a motel, Well, quite often, actually, people are so interested in this journey that I'm on that people offer me their backyards or a spare room or something like that. So actually, while the book is loosely about the divisions in American culture, what I also want to try and do is highlight the idea that there is this very universal American thing, and that is generosity, is hospitality. And um, I keep seeing that time and time again, unanimously, people that I meet are desperate to help me out basically and that often manifests itself in the in the shape of a you know spare room or i slept in someone's garage the other day which was great you know these are these are the sorts yeah yeah this was in butte and uh, these are the sorts of experiences which i want to try and uncover on this journey okay what about inclement weather any run-ins with like bison or mother nature has she put any obstacles in your path thus far you know what i haven't seen a single bison yet i was expecting to see to see bison uh on this journey but i haven't i haven't seen a bear thank goodness i've seen quite a few coyotes i've seen a lot of um uh what would you say elk uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of elk 
I've seen a lot of birds of prey. And there's something about being on a bicycle which allows you to really sort of creep up on nature in, the, in a way that if you're in a car or zooming through in any other vehicle, these things are scared of you so they get out of the way. But it really f makes you feel very connected with the wildlife and the landscape which you're passing through. I have been caught in some quite significant uh, inclement rainstorms. Um, especially when I was climbing up to the top of Lookout Pass about a week or so ago when I was in Washington. I got caught in probably a three-hour storm and I was completely soaked through and I went into a diner just on the other side of Lookout Pass. So I just, I just ended up in Idaho and uh, I got speaking to some lovely folk who were sat having lunch and they could see that I was in a pretty desperate situation. As I got up to leave, they'd paid my bill. Uh, they'd um, they paid for my paid for my lunch, which was just a wonderful outpouring of sort of human generosity. And that's the reason I go on journeys like this because it really sort of reaffirms and rekindles your your sort of your love for other human beings, really. And I think only when you're moving very slowly and moving very vulnerably. Um, you kind of appreciate that. Now tell us where home is, because I know you're British, but is that something that you see it, you're in your hometown as well? Well, I think all of us perhaps are slightly guilty of when we are living at home, wherever that might be, we, we have a normality, we have a routine. As a travel writer, I spend a great deal of my time away, and it really forces me to sort of unleash a different side of my personality. When I'm back home, it's very easy to just live a more sort of insular sort of existence. Um, but when I am on the road, you do sort of, you speak to more people. It's like anyone who's traveled uh, alone will know that you're never actually really alone. You're always sort of meeting new people and making new friendships. And I've only been on this journey for about three weeks already. Um, but I keep uncovering those 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 small friendships. I've already met people on this journey so far who I'm sure I'll, I'll stay in contact with. And you're getting out of your comfort zone. I saw you experienced your first rodeo ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So perhaps um, for people who live in the West, the rodeo is something perhaps that you take for granted as a sort of cultural fixture in the year that you do, and it brings your community together. Uh, as a Briton traveling across America, the rodeo is something which I had absolutely, of course I had a knowledge of it and I knew vaguely what it was, but I'd never actually been to one. It would almost be like an American tourist going to the UK and going to a cricket match or seeing Morris dancers or something like that, something which is uniquely and quintessentially British. And I ended up going to the Ritzville Rodeo in the eastern side of Washington. And once again, I was made to feel incredibly welcome. I stayed with um, a couple of old friends who I met when I cycled across America in 2016. And I stayed with them for a couple of nights and we watched the rodeo, we drank beer, we ate burgers, we sat outside into the early hours chatting about life. And it was just one of those great cultural experiences basically they're exactly the reasons I go off on these journeys it doesn't matter if I'm back at home if I'm in Asia if I'm in Africa or if I'm in America those are the sorts of authentic experiences I want to have
Now you set off on this journey with maybe a hypothesis in mind. It's very experimental and immersive, if you will. As a writer, I'm sure it's just you're writing about what you experience, but I get the sense that you kind of come into it thinking this is supposed to be the United States of America. And yet I'm noticing a theme in the topics that you bring up with people about division. So what have you found so far? What are people saying about that? You know, that maybe we're in the most divided time ever, which I don't necessarily agree with, but. Yeah, so um, the, I guess the subtext to all of this is that in 2016, one of my biggest ever projects uh, for the BBC involved me sailing and cycling halfway around the world. And I sailed across the Pacific Ocean. I, I sailed from China to Seattle, and then I cycled from Seattle to New York, uh, and then I sailed across the Atlantic back to the UK. It took 133 days, and this was probably the biggest and most ambitious project I'd ever done as a travel writer and as a broadcaster. However, that was in the spring and summer of 2016, so that was in the lead-up to the 2016 presidential election. And a lot of the conversations I was having with people was about how the country was changing and how politics was becoming increasingly polarized. From a distance, I think that the United States appears, at least from a distance, to be more divided than it ever has been. And what I want to try and prove is that perhaps life, political discourse, culture is not quite so polarized as it can sometimes seem. Many of us have a lot more in common than we think we do. I think perhaps rolling news channels and social media feeds with algorithms make us feel like we're further apart from each other than, than what we actually are. So what I'm trying to do on this journey is I'm trying to cycle across America at a very, very slow pace. I'm often move about 10 miles per hour and I might do 75 or 85 miles in a day and what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to have hundreds of conversations with so-called middle Americans so people who from a news agenda perhaps don't usually have their voices heard so people I might start talking to in gas stations or in bars or in local libraries or goodness knows what I'm trying to give these people a voice in my book basically I would say that pretty much unanimously everyone I've spoken to so far has suggested to me that America is more divided than they can remember. But actually when we sit down and have proper conversations, um, I think what we prove to each other is that we perhaps have a lot more in common than perhaps we thought. I tend to agree. I mean, I, this isn't we've had a civil war in our country there have been times where we've been more literally divided and I do wonder how much that narrative is being pushed by the media outlets and so I was curious to know what you what you have found on this journey what other people are saying well I think one of the quite worrying trends so far which has been told to me by people on every side of the political spectrum People have told me that the idea of talking politics has become so fractious and so potentially um, fiery and explosive that many friendship groups, many friends, many families have actually stopped talking about politics. So many people have, have said to me, you know what, we just don't go there anymore because 
we will end up arguing about Biden. We will end up arguing about Trump. These very divisive topics and characters in American culture that people are just not going to agree on and people don't agree upon. And I think that's quite a worrying thing that perhaps people are not having those conversations anymore. And what I want to try and write this book in a way that is as objective as possible. I, of course, like anyone else, when I walk into a polling booth, I will make my vote in any way that anyone else can, you know, in, a, in an active democracy. But actually what I want to try and do in this book is provide lots of different opinions from every different political field, which allows the reader to really make their own mind up as to what they think. I'm, where possible, not going to offer my own opinion. Um, but I do think it is quite concerning that people have got so disenfranchised and uh, uh, disaffected by the whole concept of talking about politics and fearful for raging arguments in their family or friendship group that people are not willing to talk about those things anymore. Because the worry is that the less we talk about something, the more inflamed the topics will become. And then the more polarized our, our society will become. I think that's a good argument for a civil discourse, which we definitely need more of, for sure. In Wyoming, where were the places that you were most excited to go to? Do you, do you have an agenda, I should say, or is it just kind of bike until you feel like stopping? Uh, kind of. I mean, I try and... I try and hit, uh, you know, 80 miles a day or so. You know what? I feel quite embarrassed that I didn't go to Yellowstone. Um, I wanted to cycle through Yellowstone, but actually I found it impossible to find anywhere to stay for less than about $300 a night. So actually, for me as a journalist and as a travel writer, that's a story in its own right. And I guess that's probably a conversation for people in this state is that if you don't have an RV, and if you're traveling by bicycle, as someone who wanted to travel through Yellowstone, which is you know, one of the most internationally recognizable national parks on the planet, it is a big global brand. It is somewhere which, as a travel writer, I was desperate to, to, to visit. Um, I found it prohibitively expensive to try and go there. I couldn't find anywhere to stay. So um, I've been staying very, very rural. I uh, Let me just check the map exactly where I cycled from yesterday. Did you go through uh, Teton County? Uh, let me just have a look. I, okay. I kind of I go through so many places that. So okay, so yesterday I cycled from. So I cycled around the Bighorn National Forest. I overnighted in Sheridan, uh, and then I would actually say that yesterday I cycled the old 196 Highway between Buffalo and Casey, and I would say that that is probably one of the greatest bike rides I've ever done anywhere in the world. And I've cycled and traveled in well over 100 countries. That ride uh, between uh, between Buffalo and Casey was absolutely epic. And when people read this book, they might not be inspired to cycle across America because it's quite a ridiculous thing to do. But there might be little bits of it that they pick out and say, oh, I'd love to go and do that. And that was... Um, you, when I was cycling through that sort of landscape, and I guess this goes for a lot of the West, a lot of Wyoming, 
you look around yourself and you look around and you just think this landscape hasn't changed for thousands of years and there is something really exciting about moving through a place like that because so much of our world has changed so significantly but the vast open spaces of this state these are the sorts of places that attract me I am from a place called the Cotswolds in in southern England that is considered countryside on that very sort of twee British scale but what you have out here is such a vast country that it just sort of makes you feel completely minuscule and I think if I was going to live anywhere in the US it would probably be somewhere like Montana or Wyoming because I love that vast scale of landscape. Something that gets on our writer nerves in Wyoming I think is that when people talk about Wyoming especially celebrities and the big wigs they just mention Jackson Hole or Yellowstone so I think it's interesting that you kind of skip those bits and those are the places where most travel writers will go and it makes sense I was born in Jackson Hole it's one of the most beautiful places on earth I was raised just south of there in a very small little town beautiful place but you know it, it's kind of frustrating that so many other little places don't get the attention yeah I mean so I as a travel writer one part of what I do is I write for the national newspapers and obviously that sort of media that sort of news is trying to encourage people to go on holiday to go on vacation and that's why tourism centers like Jackson Hole like um, Yellowstone National Park they will have big uh, PR and marketing expenditure which tries to encourage journalists travel writers tourists to go to those places my idea for this book and my sort of remit for this book is I really want to get off the beaten track I don't want to just go to all the same places that all the other journalists go to as a journalist I want to wake people up to parts of the world which perhaps they'd never fully considered before Um, that's the sort of journalism I want to read and consume myself so again I I sort of reiterate I want I want to get to the I want people to get to the end of this book and say right Simon Parker has traveled across America and he's spoken to 200 people and they're all characters who perhaps I've never fully considered before as being you know American citizens with valid opinions and thoughts on the country that they live in rather than going to somewhere like Yellowstone and speaking to a tourism representative who probably is going to give me some sort of quite well rehearsed sort of um, spiel about the place and its history I want to try and get the really candid stuff from people who don't usually get that opportunity to um, you know to have an interview curiously do you ever are you ever met with hostility or even people who you show up in a small town with a camera and you want to shine a light on that culture they're not they're not having it I think as a journalist who's been doing this for 15 years now and someone who cut my teeth in the BBC ITV ITN the big news organizations in the UK I think you just get an idea for when is the right time basically I I like my interviewees to almost come to me organically 
So for example, I'm a human first, I'm a journalist second. I think if you go into a place and you just immediately start trying to ask people questions, it will, pe it will put people on the back foot. What I like to happen is to, for example, cycle across America and people start talking to me in a very organic fashion because I'm a cyclist with all of my bags on my bike. And then after a few minutes, they're naturally going to ask me what I'm up to. And then I tell them, I'm cycling across America. I'm a journalist. I'm trying to uncover interesting stories. Hey, I don't suppose you want to give me your thoughts on, on what you think about America right now. And pretty much, I think everyone has said, yeah, sure, that's great. Because, because you build up that rapport. There have been a couple of times, of course, that I've thought to myself, no, maybe I'd, I'd, I'm not going to ask people questions right now because it just doesn't seem like the time or the place. Uh, and and that, that, I don't think that's unique to the US. I would do that in any other country around the world. You just have to respect people's boundaries. Um, and I would only ever sort of get people's opinions on stuff who are willing to share that with me. I think what I love about the US, and I think this probably goes back to your constitution and the sort of founding principles of freedom of speech is that pretty much every American I've ever asked for their opinions on something or tell me your story, I always get, people are always, always willing to sort of divulge. Whereas perhaps in some parts of the world, people would say, you know what, I probably won't. I'm, I don't think I should or something like that. That's why I think as a journalist traveling across the US, it's a perfect place to be doing a project like this because many people are very much willing to, to give their opinion. Are you an optimist? In what sense? The planet. Well, that's a big question. Um, honestly, I have seen a lot of destruction. I have seen the the, the patterns and the habits that human beings have forged over hundreds of years and the destruction that it's having. Um, you know, we've got a population of 8 billion that's going to get bigger. I think I am optimistic in the sense that I think we can hopefully instill within our children to look after our planet in a way that our generation and perhaps generations before her, for us have not. Um, this has been another interesting topic traveling across America talking to people about the concept of climate change and are humans responsible for it? Is this a cyclical thing, you know, which is very much one of those culture wars. This is one of those things which, depending on where you fit on the political spectrum, seems to have a big um, a big weight on, on where you feel about something like that. I mean, tra traveling across uh, Montana and Wyoming, for example, I don't think I've slept through a whole night because there's been uh, trains pulling uh, coal or gas or oil across the, across the state. And of course, I'm, I'm a realist. We need all these things to try and have a sort of... Uh, uh, a society which requires all these plastics and uh, these fuel that we need to keep the lights on. Um, but I think this really does feel like the sort of epicenter of 
North American um, fossil fuels production. Um, am I optimistic about the future? I guess you have to be, really. <laughs> if you're not, uh, you know, why do we why do we get up every morning? We've just got to hope that in the future that we will be able to fly around the world and we'll be able to do it on electric planes and we will be able to move to things like solar power and wind power. I understand that that is not feasible in the, in the current situation to the extent that I think we all want it to be, uh, but optimistic, uh, I'd say I'm kind of on the fence. If you could change one thing about the world, I know this is a really big question, whether it's agriculturally, economically, culturally, um, what would it be? One thing that has really come out of this project, and I'm still only on the trip, and the, I haven't even written the book yet, and the book's gonna come out next year. One thing that really strikes me about the world we live in now is our inability to agree to disagree. I think in any walk of life, it doesn't matter if you're a child of kindergarten age or a voting adult who has to be a part of society. I feel like in our modern culture, we have lost the ability to just say, okay, you might feel that way. It's not my opinion, but that's fine. I feel like the, the, the polarization of political discourse, of the news agenda, has just made things so black or white. And as a journalist, perhaps it's been just drummed into me. I've been indoctrinated with this idea for my whole life that just because something isn't your opinion, it doesn't mean that it's wrong. And I feel like that's a really dangerous um, situation that we're finding ourselves in. You know, the polit political parties all, all over the world are spreading this message of just, you know, of this idea that, you know, it's either our way or the highway. And I just think that's very, very dangerous. You, you know, we're never in, in a global population of 8 million, 8 billion, in a American culture of 340 million. Naturally, we're not all going to agree about the same things. And I think we just need to we just need to agree to disagree, basically. And I th that doesn't matter if you're, if you're having an argument with your wife or your child or down the bar with people you don't disagree with. I think it's a very good founding principle to just be a human being. Now, when you wake up tomorrow, where are you headed? Good question. I am headed east or southeast and I am headed to, let me just have a very quick look at the map, I am headed to uh, somewhere around Glendo. So small town of Glendo, uh, and at that point I think I'm then going to start taking a very southeasterly direction, and then within a, two or three days I'm going to cross over into Nebraska, uh, and then I'm going to cut across Nebraska and then across Kansas. And so when you get done with something like this, a big project like this, do you rest for a while or do you get right, right to work? Well, okay, so I like to create quite quick turnaround journalism, as quick as a book can be. So the reason I'm doing this trip right now 
is because I want the book to come out in summer 2024 as global news agendas are starting to really focus on the United States because probably from a political standpoint there is no bigger country which impacts global foreign affairs and geopolitics like the United States. That's why I've come here to do this trip. So I will finish this trip in very early November, late October. I'll probably go home and I'll just decompress for a week because I'm going to be physically and psychologically exhausted just from, you know, being in new places every single day, interviewing two or three people a day. It really does take a lot out of you because you're really sort of wearing your heart on the slit on your sleeve. So I'll probably spend a week laying on my couch watching movies. But then after that week off of resting, which I'll probably fall ill because generally you generally you run on adrenaline for the whole thing and your body is fighting off things like flu or colds or cold or coughs or whatever it happens to be. I'll probably sit on the sofa and when that adrenaline comes down I'll probably be in bed for three or four days feeling feeling terrible. But then after that, I will then lock myself into my office and I'm going to give myself probably four months to try and write this book. So that will be quite intensive. So I will try and write, let's say, five or six thousand words a week, uh, which is probably going to be 25 or 30,000 words a month. And I'll try and get the first draft done by sort of spring, early spring 2024. The publishing house is ready to turn it around quite quickly. We'll put it through the whole sort of stringent editorial process. And then as it stands, the idea is to get the book out in midsummer 2024. Because what we want this to be is a sort of ground level portrait of the United States. Because naturally, this time next year, there will be lots of coverage about the US. But perhaps not the type of coverage which I will be providing, this slow moving, off the beaten track sort of political stroke adventurous content so um, yeah that's kind of that's kind of the idea and hopefully it will um, sort of materialize in, in principle this has been report to wyoming presented in the public interest by town square media